The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Yes. Have that funky hitch, that pause. Cuts it, swings and misses. Back to back strikeouts for 2 2. His 14th strikeout of the tournament to lead all pitchers. Posey's rung up as Senga strikes out the side in order. This news, Harp, five years, $75 million, according to Andy. What can you tell us about Kodai Senga? Well, he's got uh, ace-like potential, Jason. Uh, I, I think it's a great move for the Mets. He's got ace-like potential because he throws hard in the high 90s and uh, has this wipeout splitter, strikeout type of pitch. But he also, scouts say his command is, can be shaky at times. His breaking stuff is kind of mediocre. So they're worried a little bit about how good he'll be against major league lineups. He was dominant in Japan. But the thing about what I think what, why he's ideal for the Mets is they don't need him to be an ace, really. They Obviously, they have Scherzer. Uh, and Verlander, he can slot in as that number three, even number four behind Quintana, uh, and be and fit fine. But he ha- has the potential to be a guy that can go to the top of the rotation and be as good as maybe some of those other guys. So I think because of that, especially, I think he's a great fit for the Mets, and this really does give them a loaded rotation now. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Saturday, December the 17th, 2022. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. Add the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com, and I want to welcome in the good folks from the fan-sided podcasting network, as well as RisingApple.com. Welcome to another edition of the Talking Mets Podcast. Just, uh, oh, what about eight days until 
Christmas. Hope everybody's having a good holiday. Hope you're going to be having a good Hanukkah. I know that's coming up. Hope you're into the holiday spirit. Uh, might have a little bit of snow and cold for Christmas, so we're going to have to get over by the fire, whether it's a real fire or if you guys are like me and you don't like fire and you get an electronic fireplace so you get the ambiance of fire with the safety of – I can't take fire. I get nervous. I have I have a, a chimney, so what I do is I, I don't want to use the, the fire in the chimney, so I put an electronic – really nice electronic fireplace, and I just put that in it. It looks pretty good, but if it was up to my wife, we would have a real fire, but I, I'm a – you know, I, I get nervous with that. The last thing you want to do is me coming to you from the street because my house burnt down because somebody put the fire in inappropriately. But anyway, you don't want to hear about that. You want to hear about Kodai Senga. You want to hear about what are the Mets doing? They And I'll probably say the guy's name wrong. So Omar Navarez, they signed another catcher. So what the heck are the Mets doing? 40-man roster crunch. And by the way, did Steve Cohen or is Steve Cohen – Saving our off seasons for baseball? Is he saving baseball? Is he motivating the owners to put into the history books the never ending re- rebuild, Ivy League GM security blanket mindset where, you know, nobody ever goes for it? And now you have everybody throwing money around. And even though they're free agents, a lot have signed before New Year's, New Year's Day, which is rare pre pandemic. That was rare. And uh, we're supposedly in a bad economy, in a recession. So what the heck do I know? So a lot to talk about as we charge right into the holidays and, uh, you know, maybe take a little bit. We'll talk about the schedule, maybe get to a little break uh, for both of us before we kick it back up in the new year. All right. Kodai Senga. That's going to be the big topic here on the show, because the last time I came to you, I talked to you about checkbook baseball, and I did a segment about why, and at that point, the Mets were still looking to fill out the rotation. There was a lot of talk about them being in on Senga. Uh, They wanted to uh, assign Senga. I was a little disappointed, and it sounded like Chris Bassett uh, was in the next tier down, or maybe not any, any tier at all, but I was hopeful that, you know, maybe that was just some smoke in the rumor mill. And then right after I had gotten off on the show last Saturday, I saw some weird report that said Senga would be making some sort of announcement within 24 hours between the Mets, the Padres, the Cubs. It all made sense. I knew the Padres would always be in there. And if you remember our friend Jim Allen, if you go back to our show, you know, the Far East show, you go back and you listen to Jim Allen's comments about Senga, which really were good. It gave you really a nice detailed conversation about that. Um... You know, he wasn't so sure that Senga wanted to be with the Padres and wanted to be a second banana to you, Darvish, that maybe he wanted his own team. So maybe that made the Cubs or the Mets more likely. So turns out he signs with the Mets five years, $75 million. And in this economy, in this market, where Rosh Stripling is getting two years and $25 million, I mean, starting pitching has starting. What's more expensive, the cost of chicken and eggs at the grocery store? Or starting pitching. I'm starting to think it's it's starting pitching. I mean, you know, chicken and eggs is pretty expensive. But I think starting pitching is like, is starting pitching becoming like you go into the grocery store and buying a steak? Because I think it is. But, you know, look, that's why you got to develop pitching. That's what that's that's the challenge ahead. You know, Billy Eppler could play checkbook baseball, but eventually the boss is going to say, I've given you all this money. I've given you all this commitment. I've given you all this rope. You need to start giving me some value additions to the roster. So the Mets go with Senga. Bassett goes north to Toronto on a very reasonable three-year, 
$63 million deal, pretty much in the ballpark of what I thought he'd get. You know, really, quite honestly, I didn't expect the starting pitching numbers to explode um, like this, like for the Taiwan Walkers, like those guys, you know, even Jose Quintana, which is a reasonable deal. And the more I read about Quintana, I probably reacted negatively uh, to him because I was trying to put him in the Bassett category. But, um, you know, other than, you know, you get the Taiwan Walker type deals, even Andrew Haney's deal, maybe that's a little bit much for a guy with an injury history. You know, I, I, I guess everything kind of makes sense. I thought Bassett would get, you know, maybe $25 million a year. You got a little bit less. You know, Senga's kind of unproven, but, you know, he's still in that $15 million year range. I think he's got an opt-out after year three. I mean, the beautiful thing about the Mets here, guys, with all the money they're spending, it's not like they're they're tied up for a decade in bad contracts. The next couple of years is going to be, you know, rough. The hope is that all this talent, even though some of its age, is going to come together. And it's exactly how we looked at the blueprint. It's exactly how we came into the offseason. You have this two- to three-year window while Buck is still the manager. And you want to go for it while Billy Epler is trying to, you know, secure some kind of depth in the farm system, specifically on the, uh, you know, pitching side. Because there's 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 still a lot to be done there. And guess what? You know, when you talk about what they lost on draft compensation and what they gain, you know, right now the Mets have seven picks in the top 135 of the draft this year. You know, they dropped a little bit. They weren't going to get a high pick because they were a good team last year. They were one of the best records of baseball. Uh, well, they have the third best record, you know, depending how you look at it. Uh, they're going to have a ton of opportunity, just like we talked about how all this draft compensation the last couple of years. I know they lost Kumar Rocker a couple of years ago. You know, these guys, the scouting department, which has done a really good job. I mean, there was a graph earlier this year. The graph out there was basically saying that when it comes to wins above replacement, the Mets are right there at the top in homegrown talent. Now, some of that homegrown talent never wore a Mets uniform, but it was out there producing for somebody. And it all, and it, you know, all this goes to show you, and if you want to see a whole lesson on all this, and I've been preaching about this for years. You know, you can't hug your prospects. You know, forget Jared Kelnick. We won't even go there. Anthony Cage just got designated for assignment by the Blue Jays for Chris Bassett to get Chris Bassett on the 40-man roster. Anthony Cage, I mean, the, the whining and complaining, more about Simeon Woods Richardson than Kay when they signed Marcus Stroman. Now, you lost the season with Stroman because of the pandemic, but Stroman was a quality starter, maybe not as good as he thought he was. And I know he was controversial because of his his machinations and his antics. But he was a valuable start, especially for the 2021 Mets, a team that at some point many thought, myself included, would have made the postseason and won the division. You know, reliable, seemed to give you quality starts. And, uh, you know, you had him, in theory, you would have had him for three years or two full years and, uh, you know, almost, you know, 30% of one season. For a guy that's probably never going to make it in K and Simeon Woods Richardson, so we're still holding our breath here on this all these years later. So you can't hug. That's what the prospects are for, to bring in the talent. And now that the Mets have all this money, it's less necessary to be right on every prospect and hold on to them and clutch on to them unless they are at the top level and elite. But anyway, different topic for another day. So Kodai Senga. The Kodai Senga experiment, that's what I'm going to call it, because you really don't know what you're going to get. And you heard John Harper on the way in, and I think John Harper – really 
very succinctly, very well summarize what a lot of scouts are, are, are talking about. Now, we're going to go into the Japanese player history. I was able to go into my stat head account at Baseball Reference and, and play around a little bit. So we'll try to see what, what can we expect, what's the ceiling, what's the floor. And I think looking at history and looking at the other Japanese imports, I think I get where Billy Upper's going with this, especially when you talk v, uh, you know versus, versus Bassett who would have been my choice, especially with the short-term deal that Bassett got, especially considering they're in that two- to three-year window with Verlander, with Scherzer, with Quintana. You know, all those pitchers within two years, again, you're going to be back to what's the rotation look like? Is it some of these kids that are, you know, in the low, you know, high teens, you know, low single digits on the prospect ranking? We don't know. Too early to tell at this point. There may be somebody that gets drafted that we don't know. So anyway, I'll start by saying, so I call my buddy who's a scout, for one of the 30 big league clubs. And I trust him a lot. Great guy. Known him for, known him since before he was a scout. You know, when I, when I met this guy, no doubt, I never would, we just became friendly over, you know, similar interests and never would have thought he's a scout. And then the guy gets a job in baseball and he's done a really great job, uh, you know, doing, doing scouting work uh, and, and, and being a good friend. So I'll, I'll say that. So as soon as the Senga news came down in the middle of the night, I get it the next morning, I get a text from him. And he's like, hey, I watched a bunch of video on Senga for you. I know you're going to call me. Here's my report. And it was a very good report. I, I think it aligns with Harper, but I'm going to read it to you because I'm good. And I'll summarize it like this. I have nothing against the Mets going after Senga. I, I think it works better when you have an innings guy, and a veteran like Quintana, and to a certain degree, Carrasco as a number five. See, I have no problem with Carrasco as a number five. My problem with Carrasco was when people were treating Carrasco as a top of the rotation, two, three. He's not that guy. He has moments, and I read the numbers to you, same as Taiwan Walker. I'm, I'm wondering if the Phillies read it when they gave that big contract. I like Walker. I think he has potential, and he was a good signing. But when they faced above 500 good teams – they're more likely to give you a stinker than to dominate. And I think this about Senga. Senga is going to get a lot of attention, I think, from a brand standpoint, from an attention standpoint, from and, and from marketing the Mets internationally. Anytime you bring a Japanese pitcher over, it may not be like the days of, you know, Nomo when he first came over, where it was like a traveling rock band with all the Japanese media. And, and certainly Hideki Matsui was the same way with the Japanese media at Yankee Stadium. We'll see how it is. Is Senga in that you Darvish, Ichiro, Matsui, you know, that kind of thing. And the Mets have done Japanese imports before, component-type pitchers. And, of course, we all know the whole Kaz Matsui disaster. But, you know, it'll be interesting. It'll brand the Mets and maybe give them more cachet internationally, which, by the way, a wealthy owner spending money, bringing these guys in, that's exactly what you want in a diverse multicultural city of New York. You want to be approachable and connective team to all these types of people of different backgrounds and get them into the sport of baseball. It's a good thing. That's how you make money. That's how you build a brand. That's how you get excitement around the team. But here's my thing about Senga. When Chris Bassett goes out there, yes, I know you all had questions about can he handle New York and what happened uh, we didn't like what we saw in Atlanta. We didn't like what we saw against San Diego. And heck, I don't think he had a great outing against the Cubs down the stretch when they lost that, you know, they got swept by the Cubs 
that series was as much the reason they lost the division as anything else. So, you know, basically, there were questions about Bassett. But here's what I know about Bassett. Bassett was a guy that was going to give you 160 to 180 innings. He was going to win double-digit games. He was probably going to be plus five on the win-loss. And, you know, unless there's something I don't know about his health, he was healthy. I mean, what did he get? Sidelined by COVID? That was it. There was no aches and pains. There was no, oh, man, it looks like, you know, Bassett needs a two-week stint on the DL. Oh, IL, sorry, injured list. Uh, because, you know, his back's tweet, you know hurting. And it, more than likely, I would predict that Bassett is a better bet to stay healthy than the two aces in Verlander and Scherzer. Or when I say healthy, not need a two-week stint or, you know, Maintenance. What is it called in the NBA? Maintenance days, maintenance time, and things like that. Now, the upside is, is he a 20-game winner? No. Uh, can he be dynamic and is, is like, you know, what they think Singa could be? Probably not. But you just needed middle of the rotation, number three, with some number two upside, really reliable where they are. Now, are you getting that with Quintana? Based on 2022, yes. And Quintana, if you break it down, was better than Bassett. Last year, crazy enough to, to say that because he pitched in the obscurity of Pittsburgh. And I think when he went over to St. Louis, the Mets were done with St. Louis early in the year. We weren't really paying attention to the NL Central uh, race. I always thought the Cardinals were a tough team. I told you guys that early in the year. I thought the Cardinals were one of the tougher teams that the Mets faced. Now, as the Braves improved and brought their young players up like Michael Harris and so on and so forth, uh, they became the tough team, clearly. And you saw plenty of the Braves in the second half. But, um, you know, I always thought the Cardinals were tough. And they had two guys who were fighting out for MVP and Arenado and Goldschmidt leading that offense. So, you know, maybe I'm, I'm looking at this where, okay, you already got a guy, albeit the history is not as solid in terms of higher rotation output, more league average output in Quintana. So I see Singa as a guy that is going to give you moments of dominance. I see Singa as a guy that's going to have an adjustment period, and I think – and you heard Jim Allen talk about it when he was on the show a few weeks ago. You know, he's had these tweaks and these times where his shoulder bothers him. You know, he's got a funky delivery. I'm not, again, I, I try to be a junior pitching coach sometimes. I'm not going to get into the mechanics of, of Singer. Maybe I'll ask that question a little bit of, of, of people I trust. Uh, I think he's a guy because of his command issues, because he walks a lot of, uh, of, of hitters. You're going to go against a good team on the road. Uh, they're going to, you know, a patient team. You know, the Braves don't fit that mold, but if you're a patient team, a team like the Mets, let's say Senga faces the Mets, a team that works counts, has a guy like Nimmo on the top of the lineup, knows how to uh, break a pitcher down, he's going to struggle. He's not going to go deep into the games. Maybe you get five innings. Maybe he only gives up one to two runs, but that bullpen's coming in early. Exactly what the Mets try to do to Max Fried. Exactly what the Mets try, try to do to Spencer Strider, these young pitchers. Other teams are going to try to do to Senga. Lay off anything that's not looking like a strike because... You want to stay ahead of the count because when you're behind in the count to him, he's got that nasty splitter. And that's where I think you're going to see inconsistencies. Could I see a guy that's 10-10 and 10 with a 4.50 ERA that has flashes of dominance and flashes of, of, oh, my God, what did the Mets do here? Yeah, I think that's what you're going to get. Now, does that mean he's always going to be like that? And can, you know, with Eric Yeagers and Hefner – and all the labs that they have put together and the people and the coaching and all the stuff the Mets are trying to do, can they improve them? I know the guys working with driveline. God help us. Baseball gods help us here. 
Yeah. You know, all that could potentially help. You know, Japanese players are extremely disciplined. And I don't think he would come over here. And you heard there's another conversation we had a few weeks ago. You know, with money being what it is. Now, this is a big contract for him. But these guys could also get paid in Japan. Uh, With money being what it is, and this is a good contract, certainly. You know, I don't think he would come here unless he really had a desire to be who at least some version of who we think he could be. Now, this is the scouting report I got. I'm going to read it to you verbatim because what you heard Harper say, what you heard I, what me say, this validates it. Jim Allen, go back to the tape. I'm not going to replay the whole interview for you. Watching Singh stat, uh, start here on a video program, uh, fastballs 95 to 99 and straight with arm side run. Uh, it has life and finish when down, plane over movement, and doesn't get much swing and miss off of it. Splitter is his out pitch, dives with depth. It will flash plus. Slider is below average. It's a hybrid slurve, inconsistent and needs work. Mixes in a cutter that looks average. Tries to back foot left-handed hitters with it. It's more control over command for me. He's in the zone, but can be erratic at times. Only post a better than 50% first strike rate once in his career. That's big, guys. You don't get ahead in this game, you got problems. That's big. To me, this is a high-risk, high-reward scenario. Seems like he has a timing issue within his delivery. Reading that every season he has some sort of minor issue that has made his miss that's made him miss a handful of starts. He's only exceeded 150 innings twice. You start him due to the plus fastball split combo, and it seems and seems to like his pitch ability. I worry about the command, and the other secondary pitches are enough to get through a lineup two to three times around. I bet he winds up in the bullpen. To be honest, we've all heard that, so I'm not giving you any kind of breaking news. But this is a professional scout. This, you know, so this idea that you just signed the future ace of the Mets and you stole a top of the rotation guy for $15 million a year, maybe in spurts, I don't see that. In the next three years, if you wanted me to put money down, who's going to be a better pitcher? And who, if I needed to get a quality start in a big spot and you gave me two choices, Kodai Senga or Chris Bassett, I am probably going to right now today give you Chris Bassett ten over ten, and I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say I'd ever said that. You know, a year from now, two years from now, three months from now, July, if it's different, I'll be the first to say I'm wrong. You guys know me, I'm wrong. But I'm telling you, I am not as excited about this move. Now, does this mean I don't like the Mets' chances in their rotation? Do I think the Mets' rotation is? As good as it was last year? Well, a full year of Verlander and Scherzer healthy of who they are versus partial DeGrom and partial Scherzer already makes it better. But when you go to 3-4-5, Quintana and Walker kind of is, I think, a wash at worst case. And Carrasco is Carrasco. And pushing Carrasco down instead of having to go McGill-Peterson maybe squishes that bottom half a little up, assuming Carrasco is going to bring around because there's no guarantee. It sounds like they're shopping him. But I think the downgrade is Bassett to Senga. And I think the upside hope is just that, a hope. And if you just spent all this money for a bullpen arm, great. Maybe that guy becomes Yuhara, who was a dominant closer for the Red Sox in a championship uh, season. But you didn't need to pay five years and $75 million for that. You could have saved $12 million and saved two years. Now, if the guy's good, he's going to opt out. If that, I mean, I didn't look at the details of the contract. They haven't even introduced him. And maybe we'll learn more about him. 
but that's a scout who gave me, who watched the guy's video. And the 50% strikeout rate bothers me a tremendous amount. Bothers me a tremendous amount. That's a professional scouting report I just read you. And that guy has no reason to be anti-Mets, has no reason to not like the guy because his team didn't get him. Simple as that. So we don't know what we have here. And it's okay to be excited. And I'm hoping I'm hoping all this stuff gets thrown in the trash. Now, we can go to history, and I think I know where Billy Epler's going here. We could go to history and say, what is best case? What is worst case scenario? So we go to the uh, the calculator, we call it, okay? And, of course, let me see where I have all these, these windows up on my uh, computer screen. Let's make sure. So I went to baseball reference, to Stathead, and I basically took any player that was born in Japan. That's the only way you could do it because I think there was an American player that popped up somewhere on this list. But any player that was born in Japan, and I looked at who had the best season, one all the way down to the worst, just pitchers, and cumulative, the best career so far. And there's probably no mystery about this right now, okay? Um, Cumulatively, when you talk about overall numbers for the entire career, you Darvish is the best Japanese pitcher in the history of baseball. No surprise there. He's been in the league a decade. And we saw him pitch very well against the Mets. Hideo Nomo. Number two, no surprise there. A lot of his productivity came in 95 and 96. When you look back, he was brought over to the Mets, and and we didn't like him. He had not so – you know, it was okay when he came over to the Mets. But that was a guy that was trying to figure out as the league figured him out who he was. Then he he wound up throwing a couple of no-hitters, I think, after he left the Mets, one with the Red Sox, if I'm not mistaken. And he wound up having solid years after as a mid-rotation guy. And he never was the phenomenon that he was in 95, 96, when he really became a Japanese player pioneer when he came over. There's so much history of Japanese baseball, the posting, how Nomo got over. Not for today, but it's it's quite fascinating. It's changed quite a bit. Um, Hiroki Kuroda is number three, skush below Nomo. Very solid pitcher for the Dodgers and the Yankees. Masahiro Tanaka, still pitching over in Japan. Left after the pandemic season, didn't want to stay here. You know, next. And here's a guy that you probably don't think about. He's number five, Hisashi Iwakuma, Iwakuma from the Mariners. Had a very and I'll and I'll bring him up because the best season, and this is your, you know, you think you got an ace here in Kodai Senga. The best season, according to baseball reference, for a Japanese player. No, it's not Otani from this year. No, it's not you Darvish from whatever season he's been. No, it's not even Daisuke when he first came over in 2008. And it's not Tanaka, and it's not Kuroda. It's Hisashi Iwakuma, who in 2013 went 14-6 with a 2.66 ERA, pitched 220 innings, had a whip of a slightly above one, and had a war that year of seven. A wins above average of 5.1, still the high, highest ever. That's the best season. So if you're telling me Kodai Singh is going to come here, and even for the first season when nobody knows who he is and they're not going to lay off his splitter and maybe he finds a way to throw strikes because of the Mets pitching lab, if he gives you that, then guess what, guys? You just walked into the best pitcher. Because that kind of numbers, if you put that up against last year, a seven war, he's right up there with Alcantara, Dylan Cease, better than Otani, 
better than Nola, better than Alex Manoa, better than Max Fried, better than Verlander, better than Scherzer, better than Wheeler. Now, you tell me falling somewhere in the average of what people think he could be. Now, some people said, can he be Masahiro Tanaka? Can he be Hiroki Kuroda? That's a three-war, three-and-a-half-war win player. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with it. And right now, you could sign up for that as a number three starter, especially if he's going to give you some upside. That tells you he's Kyle Wright. He's Shane Bieber. He's Jose Quintana. He's Chris Bassett. Ironically, I'm looking at the war, and I could see where the Mets were. See, I'm looking at Bassett, and I don't use war really to evaluate players other than rank them, whether it be for Hall of Fame for other things. I don't, it doesn't mean anything to me. I look more at the player I see, what I feel, traditional numbers, walk rate, strikeout rate, really important to me. I mean, that's, that's where I feel the sustainabilities are. The walk rate is extremely important to me. You know that. You know, Joe Musgrove, those are where. So he, so the Mets are saying themselves, or let's say this guy can't figure it out. Um, he's inconsistent. They feel he's going to fall into that bandwidth. And with the prices of pitching, with the Mets payroll up around 350, with the tax bill being, you know, you know, 80 million and 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 maybe up there the payrolls of certain teams, they it, it's worth it to them. So I understand the move. I understand where Billy Epler's going. Remember, Billy Epler, it's a probabilistic world. This is a guy that I think puts human emotion into things. He's not a total robot. But he very much likes to use analytics and and ceilings and value and then dashes the human element, which I think is why you have Buck on that team. That's why I think they're such a good combination. Because let me tell you, Buck's been in those meetings. Like He talked about it, Buck. Why do you think he was in Flushing a few weeks ago when the winter meetings were going on? And I think he was in the studio. Oh, before the winter meetings, I think he was in, in Flushing, you know, when he won the manager of the year. Because he's there in meetings trying to give people perspective on, you know, we're signing Brandon Nimmo. What kind of person are we getting? How's that guy going to play when he gets paid? So, you know, so you guess what, guys? You basically got my analysis on Senga. I'm not down on the move, but let's calm down. Because there's a lot of risk here. And, you know, I know Mets fans are negative people. And they have every right to be. But there's a scenario where your two big aces need some maintenance time. Not that they're out for the year, but maintenance time. You start with DeGrom and Scherzer this year, a little bit more than maintenance time. Your Carrasco, Quintana are veterans that could be league average or worse against certain good-hitting teams on the road. And then you're relying on this guy from the Far East. The rotation looks very iffy. And God forbid you have time off. Now you're looking at the, the David Peterson, Tyler McGill experience. And that doesn't always make me feel great. You saw what Peterson's bad side, bad Peterson against the Cubs at the end of the year. McGill with his delivery and his funkiness, you know, he was dominant for a month. And then, you know, he got hurt and that was the end of the game. And then it goes precipitously downhill after that with unknowns and... uh potentially scrap heap. Then you may be looking at uh, Jared Eikhoff types. Hopefully not. I think the Mets Mets are trying to avoid Jared Eikhoff and what they had to do when they had 3 billion doubleheaders in 2021. All right. 
So the Kodai Seng experiment, you got the scattering report. You got the good, the bad, the ugly. Uh, it's over. I'm not harping on Bassett. I'm not going to root against them. I know people are already saying you're going to root against them. You're going to be like with Dom Smith. I didn't get to the point with Dom Smith until Dom Smith was ju- shoved down my throat and everybody was denying who he was. I'm concerned about what Husinga is, but I don't have enough sample size to say this is exactly who the guy is going to be. And even Hideo Nomo, who wasn't nearly the same good pitcher that he was in 95-96 and then swung backwards, swung back to his level, which wasn't bad, probably mid-rotation. So anyway, let's take a quick break. When I come back, what the heck are the Mets doing? They sign a catcher? People are talking about Michael Conforto. They're not done spending. I mean, where's the payroll going to go? They're going to set a record for payroll. Not only that, is Steve Cohen saving baseball? Yes, the guy that they didn't want in the club. Is he saving baseball? That and more right after this. Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. We have done, a, you know, a lot of lifting and, and you know, had a very fortunate in investment from Steve and Alex Cohen um, in this club. This, again, I, I know I've said it a number of times. I'll continue to say it. Like, you know, the commitment is very evident here. Um, and, and the goals are very evident. So, um, you know, a lot of the heavy lifting is done. It doesn't stop us from being opportunistic. So if there are, um, you know, acquisitions we can make, whether it's in the trade market or, or if it's in free agency, and we still want to explore those, um, always just kind of keeping our antenna up and, uh, you know, when something presents itself that makes sense and is a is a worthwhile investment and can move our win projection or move our run scoring or our run uh, prevention in particular, you know, uh, leaps and bounds. I'm going to, I'm going to take that to Steve um, and uh, engage his, uh, gauge his thoughts on it. So, um, you know, but uh, yeah, just kind of 
remaining opportunistic is probably the best way to to frame it and think about how we're going to approach um, you know the next couple months before we go to uh, go to Florida. Singa during the break. Here's what I could really realistically see. Let's not get into war. Let's just get into you heard the scattering report. John Hopper validated a lot of what I just told you about, you know, who I talked to, and he's talking to, you know, other scouts, maybe higher level uh, uh, talent evaluators in various organizations. So, what do I see Senga being? Let me give you, I, I, they're looking at. Can he be Hideo Nomo? Let's just use Hideo Nomo. Let's just use that player. Can he be Hideo Nomo in 1995? 13 and 6, 2.54, ERA plus of 149, rookie of the year, number four in the Cy Young Award, you know, strike at 11 per nine, walk 3.7. Or, you know, you don't want to be that uh, optimistic. The guy who threw a no hitter in 96, won 16 ball games, 122 ERA plus. 319 ERA, struck out 9.2 per nine innings, walked three. Uh, you know, because he he had command problems. You know, same kind of guy he had that, that split he was looking for. That's the high end. You know, now you get to the guy who in 97 wins with the Dodgers 14 games, a little over 500, ERA of 4.25, basically a six inning three run pitcher. Still struck out more than a batter per nine. His walks ticked up to four per nine. So now, you know, that's more. Now, that's a below league average pitcher, 91 ERA plus. I'll tell you what, 14 and 12, 4.25, I probably would take. I'm not sure that's a number three starter, but I would take that. Or are you looking more at the guy who was in Milwaukee after the Mets let him go, after he went below league average and really was struggling? I mean, he had an ERA over five when the Mets acquired him for Dave Malicki. It was basically Malicki stunk. The year after he, he pitched the shutout against the Yankees in the in the Subway Series, Nomo stunk. You take your problem, I'll take my problem. Maliki was young and had some upside. Can Nomo find his way with a different uh, organization? Um, you know, and away you go. Uh, more than likely, I think you're going to get a guy that you know, like you saw in '97 with the Dodgers, '99 with the Brewers, twelve and eight, four point five zero. You know, walks. You know. About three and a half, four per nine, maybe strikes out a batter per nine innings. Now, as he reinvented himself after the 2000 season, after he came from Detroit, he was still league average. He ticked up a little bit when he went to Boston in 2001, and then he went back to the Dodgers and had back to back seasons of winning 16 ball games. It was actually pretty good his second stint with the Dodgers. His strikeout rate lowered, his walk rate never did, you know. So you're still looking at a guy when you look at advanced metrics, when it was all said and done. Is FIP. He was a guy who had an ERA about 4.2. So what you're going to get at a Senga, in my opinion, is Hideo Nomo. But not Hideo Nomo in 95. If we get one of those years as, as to watch, I would sign up for it. You're getting, you know, 500 pitcher, 13 and 12, 14 and 12, 4.2 to 4.5 ERA, strikeout per inning, some dominant outings. He's going to drive you crazy with walks. You know, the Mets are going to get a 4 nothing lead, and the guy in the next inning is going to walk a couple of guys, and you're going to be sweating bullets sitting at City Field when Austin Riley comes up. I think that's what you got. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like, he could be a – that's a – look, 14-game winner, 4.2 to 4.5 ERA, a chance to do upside, top-of-the-rotation outings, 
even if they're against the, you know, maybe not the Braves of the world and the Phillies of the world. I mean, could you imagine this guy in Citizens Bank Park against that lineup with Trey Turner? Walking guys with Schwarber on the on deck? You know, get get realistic, guys. I'm not trying to tell you the guy's not good and he's not valuable. But that ain't Chris Bassett. Chris Bassett is, be- is better than those numbers. That's all I'm going to say. All right, Steve Cohen. Before I get to what the heck the Mets are doing here, because you heard Billy Epler on the way in, opportunistic. They've always talked like that. They talked like that last year. You know, they, they're talking like that again. And they are now, with the heavy lifting done, they are clearly in the opportunistic mode because they don't have to make any more moves right now. They're good enough to, you know, start this season with the goal of winning a championship in mind. They're good enough now. They're going to need to make tweaks, and I'm sure there's going to be thunderbolts, and I'm sure there's going to be uh, areas of improvement, and there are going to be guys that, you know, maybe Senga, that we don't like, so maybe we're going to be talking about, well, they need to get another pitcher for the rotation, or they need to get another bullpen arm, and I think they do. I think they still could use another bat, maybe another bullpen arm, certainly outfield help, even if it's depth component depth. But I found it interesting here, a couple of things that happened this week that tell me maybe the malaise of what baseball has become the last decade with the Ivy League GMs coming in and trying to be the smartest guy in the room, make sure they hold their jobs forever, and become somewhat of the next wave of books written in the industry, like Billy Bean and Michael Lewis with Moneyball. Maybe that's the owners are starting to say that's not the way to make money. Because all I see is the Mets get mentioned, and I don't know how serious it was. It looks like they were just watching Correa. I was not in favor of giving Correa a... a, a, I was never in favor of any 10-year deals, but again, now that you're using the AAVs are so high that you have to almost create the credit card effect with lowering the AAV and spreading out the payments so you can afford to have a a, a decent team because payrolls are going to have to be 250 to 300 if you want to be in the pantheon of teams unless you get really lucky and you draft well and you get guys to sign below market value before they hit free agency like the Braves. Anomaly, not easy to do. Not everyone's going to do it. There's risks there on both sides. Um, I'm not still in favor. Like Correa with back stuff. I know that they, you know, it was almost like sounded like Javi Baez again. You know, you know, Lindor wants his buddy from Puerto Rico to, you know, play alongside him. I had another, if they had done it and they spread the payments out, and they and certainly Correa in the in the high twenties is not a terrible AAV for that player, and he wants to play third base. You know, it is an upgrade over Escobar. I know Escobar is a glue guy, a veteran, but you could have found a way to make Escobar for a year, kind of an around the diamond DH bench player. You know, he could have some value there. Uh, I think they like the 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 presence of an Escobar and he had a really good second half and I think if he if he's healthy and whatever was going on because it sounded like Bucket intimated there was other things going on maybe he's adjusted to New York he's on his walk year maybe you get the 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 vintage Escobar that you signed for and that would be a good player and a good guy and a good fielder at third so you know uh, but as soon as the Mets get mentioned. Cohen's wallet gets mentioned. The Giants run within hours and close the deal. Our friend Joe Cassell, former agent involved in the media business now, knows a lot of people in the sport, told me, we're Facebook friends, told a lot of people, I was in a group chat with him, told me that Hal Steinbrenner was really bothered by being booed at the end of the, uh, 
when they, I guess they had an on-field ceremony for the judge's home run, was really bothered about how he was booed at Yankee Stadium and how he was being treated in, by the media. So what does he do? He goes out there, he gets judge done. You know, he got involved at the 11th hour to get judge done when he was looking like he was going to go to California, San Diego, or San Francisco. And now, just a couple of days ago, they signed Carlos Rodon, which, by the way, six years, $162 million, not a terrible deal. Like, when you start to look at, now, I'm not a fan of Rodon's health, and I don't think he's, for what the Mets are trying to do to keep those two- to three-year AAVs in that window, I'm not really interested in having that kind of pitcher with that dead money. And I don't think he's as good as DeGrom, and I don't think he's as good as Verlander. And I think if you were to replace DeGrom with Rodon, he's good, but I'm questioning how, how much of what you saw is what you're going to get. But it's a good deal. And the Yankees now have a very good one-two punch. they got some good young arms with Nestor Cortez and Severino, and they always find ways to find high-end bullpen arms out of nowhere. They have a good rotation. The Yankees are a decent team. I mean, they probably need a little more offense, which is interesting because it's never been their problem. But they're, they're a decent team. But as Steve Cohen, and I said this to Joe, it's not just the fact that he was booed at Yankee Stadium. Certainly, that's probably the, the driving factor. He didn't want to become the Yankees version of M. Donald Grant or Fred and Jeff Wilpon. But I think the fact that across town, as much as they could have a cozy relationship, he, he doesn't want to, you know, he's like, hey, my dad's memory here. That's the guy across town who's honoring my dad's memory in terms of how he approached a winning baseball team. And when you see, there's still the Dansby Swansons, and there's going to be guys that are going to go into the new year. And maybe some guys who are going to wait nearly into, you know, Valentine's Day to sign a contract, probably component type guys. They're going to wait to see what kind of deal they can get. When they don't, maybe they get a minor league deal with a team they think they can make the roster with a reasonable amount of performance. Um, You know, the league really did a lot in December. It wasn't just let's talk, let's circle back, let's take a couple weeks off for the holidays, let's see where the market goes. They jump because their fear is this guy might come in and might grab my player, and then that creates a ripple effect of we better jump on this. Like what else is there to talk about? And, you know, I, it's funny I hear how, you know, Ken Rosenthal in the, in, in the media now, well, you know, this is a, it's amazing how they're trying to circumvent the luxury tax. Well, you cr- create all these punitive penalties. Apparently there's money in the game. I mean, they just sold a portion of BAM to Disney. So they're all getting $100 million, these teams, apparently. So off the bat, Cohen could say, I'll just use my BAM money to pay for payroll or the luxury tax. You know, it's found money in a lot of ways. And it creates, like, that's what you don't... I don't know the P&Ls of these teams. I don't think it's as flush as people think. And there's certainly paper value when you buy something for $300 million and it's worth $8 billion. That's not cash flow. You can't go to a guy and, and, and sign his check and go to the bank with, pay, with intrinsic value. Oh, well, here... Bank of America, I'll, I'll, I'll cash this $5 million check. Steve Cohen's team is worth this, but he's got no money in the bank. No, that's not how it works. So I laugh when people say, well, the team's worth this. The team is worth this. My house is worth X. That doesn't mean I have that cash on hand to pay. You all know this. You all own property. You own things. You own cars. Your car's worth X. You don't have the cash. It's just you have assets. You can sell it off. Just try. Like, this is basic finance 101. You don't have to go to college for it. Take an internet course. But that's where the Steve Cohen factor is. And that's probably why a lot of these guys, you know, and you're going to see criticism. And let me tell you, and we'll get more into this. This is going to be a theme in a future show, not today. 
If you think this Mets team and this owner is loved outside of the 212-718-516-631-917, you know, we'll put Jersey in there, what, 201, whatever. We'll do Northern Jersey because Southern Jersey is probably Philadelphia. Have I missed the zip code? 646-347. All these zip codes around the area. We'll throw Connecticut in there, 203 maybe. They're probably Yankee fans and Red Sox fans up there. No, they're not. He's not. He's not. You know, maybe some of our friends in the UK that listen to the show, they may. We'll throw yours. I don't know what your, your zip code is. Not zip code. Area code. I said zip code. Area code. Put it on the bingo card. No, he's not. Conversation for another day. So what are the Mets doing? And what do they need to do? First, let me throw out there. Everybody wants Michael Conforto. They want Adam Adovino. They want another bullpen arm. The Mets are at 39 players on their 40-man roster. You can't put anybody on the 60-day DL to open up IL, to open up a roster spot right now. That's for the spring. So you're gonna, you know, guys like Tommy Hunter and some of the minor league signings, those guys you could bring in minor league signings. And when you have to put them on the roster by a certain date in spring training, then you release players, you put players on the 60-day, and, and you work all that stuff. So they only have one roster spot, and that's been taken by Navias, a catcher. So at first when I heard about Navias, I was like, eh, what is that? It's kind of like the same thing with Quintana. I'm like, eh. But look, when I read more about him, he fits what Billy Epler wants, and I believe you are going to see a trade. I do not believe what I heard that they're going to carry three catchers. They're not going to carry $21 million worth of catchers. Nito will be on the team. He has no options left. He's going to be on the team. And I think he's you know, he's a, he's a guy that's in the running for a gold glove. He still can't hit, but he shows some streakiness and some pop here and there. Uh, I think Navaez is going to replace McCann. Navaez, here's the profile, and I did a lot of reading on him. You know, he's got pop. He could hit right-handed pitching. He's been up and down offensively over the last few years, good year, bad year. Uh, He's very good at framing. He and Nito are side-by-side in the top 10 in the league. It sounds like he's a smart catcher into game-calling, game-planning. You know, the Brewers pitchers had a lot of nice things to say about him. He came over from Seattle, known as a bad defensive catcher, with a bat, with some pop. And he's worked on that. So... I see that. Now, as an offensive player, even though he's got pop, he's a contact guy. He's a spray-the-ball guy. And I'll get more into this because I listened to Eric Chavez on the Boone podcast. That's their philosophy. They don't believe you need to swing from your heels. They need You need to hunt line drives. You need to hunt contact. And good things will happen. And you work counts. And that's how you build an offense. And the home runs will come. Similar to the things that Keith Hernandez talks about all the time, and how Keith Hernandez went about his career. Basically, they want they they want their offense to be guys like the '90s Yankees, Keith Hernandez, work counts, wear pitchers down, keep the pressure on, move the line going. They don't need sleepy, sleepy, sleepy beginning like the Braves, four runs, sleepy, sleepy, sleepy. You could still win. Obviously, the Braves did with that, but I told you the Braves to me were a team that was pitchable to because. When the home runs weren't falling, and that could be environment-based, they were not as scary. You play them in a humid city field in August, yeah, I'm worried about the ball flying out of there. You play them in April in city field when it's, you know, Yellowstone Park there, no, I'm not as worried. So I think there's going to be trade. I think McCann is gone. 
I don't know how they're going to move McCann. They might have to eat some money. Maybe they look at the $8 million with Nevaez and they say, okay, McCann's making 12. We'll eat four. We'll get him back down to eight. So Nevaez will make the 12 that McCann is making. We'll move McCann's eight. Either they save money and they get him for nothing and they dump the salary. Or maybe they could get a useful reliever. Maybe they get some kind of, uh, you know, I don't think they're going to get any kind of young pitcher with upside. But maybe they could get some kind of useful piece in another part. Maybe they get an outfielder, a component outfielder. I don't know. That sounds like what they're doing. Now, Carrasco, it sounds like because of the pitching market, they want to move the salary. They want to have the upside of a young pitcher for a team that kind of needs more certainty. And Carrasco provides them that with a $14 million a year reasonable price tag in the Ross Stripling and areas like that. So, you know, we'll see where that goes. I'd be careful about moving Carrasco because I think in a fifth spot, he fits well. I think it's very unlikely, especially with Senga in the rotation now, that you're not going to have maintenance time at the very least. I'm not saying it's going to be oblique and Jake shoulder issues like last year, but there's maintenance time, so you're going to have, um, you know, two-week stints. You know... You're going to need about 10 pitchers to get through doubleheaders, rainouts, injuries, eight to 10 pitchers minimum. So, you know, you got seven now with Peterson and McGill. Uh, I know you got Lucchese, who could be a swing guy out of the bullpen, and Buto. But, you know, I wouldn't just be throwing Carrasco away. And I know people have said that. Now, if it's a payroll thing, look. Guy, the guy, the owner has done everything. To me to even sit here and say they could use a bat and a, a bullpen arm is kind of ungrateful. It's almost embarrassing. It's against who I believe we need to be as, as analysts and rooting for this team. But they do. To keep up because of the fact that their farm system is not producing even decent bullpen arms right now. Outside of the potential of the Alvarez's, the Beatty's, the things like that. Um, they do. And I would like to see them try to sign Adovino. But I think Adovino is probably going to get a two-year deal, and he's probably going to get close to $20 million, maybe a little less. Do they want to go that route? You know, Zach Britton, do they bring him in on a minor league deal? You know, I wouldn't give him $10, $12, 14000000 million. He hasn't proven anything. I think he gets a very low base with a lot of incentives. Does he want to pitch for Buck to reestablish himself? That's an interesting name that I've heard out there. As far as offense, they're going to need more outfielders. Whether they go out and 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 they're going to probably have to do, you know, guys and overpay them in the in in the uh, paragraph two contract to come out of the minor leagues, a Jankowski type that's probably not going to make the roster. Will sign here on a minor league deal. Will be okay with playing in Syracuse and get a chance to win, and probably get handsomely paid to be a minor leaguer. So that's what they're going to have to do. It's something that they did a little bit when Brody Van Wagenen was here with Andy, Dini Hechevery and guys like that with the replacements, Rajay Davis, so on and so forth. Can you get guys like that that will go down to Syracuse and be depth, and then you could figure out your 40-man roster? Because quite honestly, you don't have a lot of options either on the 40-man roster. I mean, uh, taking away guys like Alonzo McNeil who are not going to be optioned, uh, Guillerme has an option. Uh Drew Smith, David Peterson uh, have options. Eliza Hernandez has options. John Curtis has an option. I don't know if it's there's a contract that says he can't. You know, so sometimes options get tricky as you get past three, four years. I think once you get five years service time, the options go away. But those guys don't fall into that. So you don't have a lot of options. Zach Green, the Rule Five kid, if you option him, he's gone. He's probably going back to the Yankees. So you don't even have a lot of options here. Your 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 roster is pretty cemented. 
So you're going to have to probably get guys onto the 40-man that are going to be on the 40-man. It's going to get tricky. The 40-man situation is tricky. You don't have a lot of guys with options. So when the season starts, and then it's like, okay, if you get to Navarre's, Navarre's contract, he's a 40th man on the roster, you're done. Now you're going to have to, if you want to sign a Conforto, you want to sign a Drury, you want to sign a, 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 a Brantley, if that's where the way you want to go. I mean, Brantley, to me, if his, if his shoulder's healthy, fits most likely more so than Conforto, more so than Drury, fits what Billy Epler looks for. Contact, approach, decent fielder. Is he healthy enough? Everyone's talking Conforto, but quite honestly, other than the nostalgia for Conforto and the upside, which he can be a 30-home run guy, is a guy that could be an all-star. Brantley fits better. He's older. He's probably going to get a lesser deal. He's lefty. You know, Maybe he moves Canna more to a, a fourth outfielder role because I'm not sure Canna uh, profiles to me as an everyday player. Good player, good guy to have. Not sure he profiles that. You move him down in the depth there. So... You're going to have to. So who who gets dropped? Who gets dropped here? You know, maybe you drop Juan Lopez. Maybe you drop Khalil Lee, who I've never liked. William Woods, who they got off waivers from the Braves. Maybe you drop him. Saucedo. I mean, Zach Green is a rule five. You drop him, you know, you're going to offer him back, you know, for money. Probably take him. So, you know, there's that. So it's tricky. So I believe the Mets need more outfield help. I think they're going to have to try to figure out what minor league options can guys make the team? Does Naquin come on, come back on a minor league deal? That's that's where the opportunistic thing lies. Yeah, you have J.D. Martinez. The Mets are going to look and see how distressed certain players' markets are. But even with J.D. Martinez, see, the DH spot to me is not the spot I would go. Because you guys want to sign a J.D. Martinez who plays DH. Now you're going to have to trade Vogelback or Ruff, which maybe they want to do. Maybe they could get something out of him. Maybe that's where this is going. But I'm like, where would the effort for that make sense when I know you all hate Ruff, but against left-handed pitching, he's, he's a 116 RC run creation. He's very solid. Vogelback is a 150 run creation against right-handed pitching. He's elite. He's like Brandon Nimmo, Pete Alonzo, uh, Jeff McNeil against, against righties. Maybe he doesn't look like an athlete, but he can hit. He works, counts, he's everything these guys want. Now he clogs up the bases and he can't play any other position. Maybe you could throw him at first. He looked like, I saw a photo of him, I think he was doing some community work. He looked like he lost a little bit of weight. Maybe that's, he did. It could be the shirt. You know, sometimes a baseball uniform, especially a white uniform with stripes, doesn't, is not that flattering. So, I always like Brandon Drury, and he, he played around the diamond when he was at the bench mob in 2021. I don't know, though, you know, he's not as good as he was in Cincinnati. But I don't know if he fits what the Mets want. You know, you just listen to Chavez. You listen to, to Drury. They want contact guys that work counts. I'm not sure that's Drury, to be honest. Navaez, that's that's who he is. Like, they're telling you everything. When you start to look at who they want, just look at who they've they've talked about, who they acquire. You know, they don't want Joey Gallo. And speaking of that, with the shift being banned, Vogelback may get better. Ruff hit very well when teams played him straight up. Hit over 300. So these are things they're factoring in. Just like a Josh Bell or a Kyle Schwarber is going to benefit from the um, lack of a shift. You know, that's that could go 
certain guys who are lesser names away. So you trade McCann, you open up a spot, and maybe you get a reliever for that. Or you dump him, you open up the spot for a minor leaguer, somebody who's component, and you go and you sign your reliever. Or you sign Conforto. Or you sign, you know, I hear Justin Turner, they don't really need another infielder. They got Guillermo, they got McNeil, they got Beatty. Mauricio, who's hitting up in the minor leagues. And the last thing here, and this is the real X factor, you know, when it comes to catcher, you know, I'm not ready to hand Francisco Alvarez anything in spring training. You know, Pete Alonso didn't get handed anything. Why? Because Alvarez is on a, on a more... Alonso, Alvarez is looked at widely... is widely looked better, looked more respected as a prospect than Pete Alonso was. There was so many questions about Pete Alonso. He can't play defense. He'll never hit for average. Everything that they said he can't do, just like everything that has been said about Brandon Nimmo when he came up, that he can't do, he's done. And by the way, the biggest compliment and the best news I heard when I was listening to Chavez talk to Brett Boone is that other teams are telling the Mets and Chavez that they don't know how to pitch to Pete Alonso because he's as likely to take the ball the other way to drive in runs as he is to try to crush a three-run homer. To hear that means that Pete is starting to go to the next level. All the questions we had of him post-rookie year go to the next level. Alvarez is not there yet. Alvarez has to come to spring training, prove that he can hit consistently, prove that he can stay healthy. How's his foot doing? Uh, How is he going to catch this veteran pitching staff? How is he going to handle now that the bases are two inches bigger and that you're going to have guys in the division like Trey Turner and the Marlins running like maniacs on you? Yes, it's going to be the... The, 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 the time to the plate that the pitchers are going to have to work on, that's where it starts. That has nothing to do with Alvarez. But what's his pop time? How do they respect him? You get a 1-2 to the plate as a pitcher, but the guy's pop time is two seconds or worse. Uh, it just negates any kind of advantage you got. You ain't going to throw out Trey Turner with that. That is one thing about Navaya is that his pop time isn't great when I looked at the stats. But, you know, look, you're not going to get everything. You're not going to get JT or El Muto behind the, the plate unless you get JT or El Muto. So I'm not really – this J.D. Martinez stuff, DH is not where they need to go. They've got a DH. Yeah, it's the old Shane Spencer, Kareem Garcia is the same as Vlad concept, but it actually is. And for a DH spot, for a guy on the downside of his career with a bad back like J.D. Martinez, I'm okay with that. Now, you're telling me Jose Abreu, you're telling me Shoaitani – Different. I'm not going to go that route. That's next year's conversation, Shohei Atani. I don't want to talk about him. That's going to be an obsession for the fan base. Um, so there's a 40-man roster crunch. There are guys you could dump. I look at Lopez, Khalili, Woods, Saucedo, guys like that. Um, I'm more into the Conforto, Brantley, Drury. I know Duvall is out there. The problem is Duvall has that wrist issue, the sheath. That's a very nasty issue. Part of the uh, issue with McCann is that he you know, broke his wrist, not the same injury as Duvall. But when you have wrist and, and arm issues and it saps your, your strength, you lose your power. You can't hit. You know, Daniel Vogelbach's not a sexy-looking athlete, but he's got great hands, great hand-eye coordination, strong wrist, strong arm. Like, that's where it is. You know, you could be Hercules, but you might not be able to hit because you don't have good hand-eye coordination. It's not just about how strong you are, like in weightlifting. It's all the other mechanics that come together. You know this. You guys are smart. So, what the heck are the Mets doing? They're being opportunistic. 
And I think you guys are look. You have to look at start to look at the type of hitter they want. That's who they're going to try to fill the outfield with. Contact, defense, good veteran, good person, smart player. Not just a toolsy guy that maybe could be lightning in a bottle. Maybe Senga falls into that as a pitcher, but I guarantee you they did background on him as a person. I guarantee you. So I'm I, I'm not as J.D. Martinez, Justin Turner. I'm more Brantley, Drury, Conforto. I'd love to see Conforto back. How healthy is he? I think he's going to cost a little bit, um, which may not mean a much may mean much. Is he? You know, do you put him in left because you don't want to move Marte from right? You know, with the kind of defense he's he's playing, unless you feel it's going to potentially you switch him around. Will it will it keep him healthier? That's a great question. These are things we don't know. We really don't know the inner workings. And you're not going to know. Buck's not going to tell you. Billy Upless is certainly not going to tell you. Drury, to me, provides a ton of flexibility. Third, first. And it's funny that we're, I'm like championing for Drury to be signed, especially because he's very good against left-handed pitching. And he was part of the bench mob because the joke has always been that that's what the media wanted the Mets to trade from the Yankees when the Yankees for Noah Syndergaard or Jacob DeGrom. That was supposed to be the centerpiece of the trade. A guy who's right now out of a job. See, that tells you, when the media is your GM, you're probably a, a, you probably, you do the opposite of what they say. When Joel Sherman says trade for Aaron Hicks and Josh Donaldson, like he's been trying to do, like he's been trying to figure out how the Yankees could foist them on somebody, don't. Do the opposite. All right. All right, let's take a quick break. Wrap up. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. The Talking Mets podcast is available on many outlets, but the most popular is Apple Podcast. Hi, I'm Mike Silva, the host of the Talking Mets podcast, and I encourage you to leave a review about the program on Apple. Just rate it one to five stars, hopefully a five, because why wouldn't you? And then if you have time, leave a review. It helps the podcast continue to grow and encourages others to take a listen. You can also email me at MikeSilva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G. TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Hope to hear from you soon. And enjoy the rest of the show. All right, we're back. Final thoughts. Talking Mets podcast. Uh, one last thing on Alvarez. I was really thinking about this when we when we went to the break. He's going to have to earn his position. Now, he comes to spring training. And he does what Pete Alonso did in 2019 spring training and hits the heck out of the ball. It shows great maturity and poise behind the plate. Yeah, give him a job. Have Nito as the backup. Uh, Navayas could be like a DH backup, you know, a good bat off the bench. With the DH now, you don't have to worry about all of that. I mean, you're going to have 14 and 12. I don't think you could have more than 12 pitchers, right? Or 13. I always, you know, I, this is going to bother me now. How many, how many pitchers on an MLB roster? All right, 26 man roster. I'm going to look this up where it is. Says teams that have carried 13 pitchers during this time. So you can only carry 13. So they'll probably go 13 and 13. Five starters, eight relievers. So they'll go 13 and 13, not 14 and 12. They can't do 14. Then they could do 14 and 14 in September. So 13. They were allowed to do 14 because of the lockout earlier in the year. All right. So I got that right. Yeah, it's amazing. I've been watching this game for 30 years plus. Watching a game now for 35 years. And it's like I don't know any of the rules anymore. They change all the time. Like this is not that co- – is it, is it me? Am I not paying attention? Do you get confused? I don't get it. That's the way it's going to – you know, I'm going to be really adamant about this, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay strong with you people. 
I'm not into this. Oh, Alvarez, number one prospect. You got to give. There's no scholarships here. Same thing for Beatty. I saw nothing from Beatty that I'd want him as an everyday third baseman defensively in that small sample size. Nothing. He had a 580 OPS. He had a home run against the Braves, big hit against the Phillies. You know, he he showed some promise. But two outs, bases loaded, ninth inning, Mets ahead by a run, ground ball to third. You're going to trust him not to throw that ball away? It's a tough play. You think he's going to make it? Escobar will. Guillaume will. McNeil will. That's that. And I don't want to hear it. I'm not into this. Like, you know, you guys fall, a lot of you guys fall into this prospects homegrown. Let's give them the position. There's no giving anything. Nothing gets given. You have to earn it. And I know that will happen, especially with this GM and this manager. It will happen. You know, if they're rebuilding, different story. They're not rebuilding. They're trying to win a championship. All right, so uh, the holidays are upon us. We have the Christmas break coming up. So what's the schedule going to look like? You probably want to know. This will give you plenty to chomp on this show probably through Christmas. So you know, Hanukkah, Christmas, have a great holiday. This is my kind of like last time we'll talk before the holiday. Next week is Christmas. The week after is New Year. Um, won't be coming to you those days. Now, I do plan on coming to you between Christmas and New Year. And I think I'm going to do a vault show depending on the news cycle. So we'll see. I have an old interview with a former Met that I haven't played. Uh, Not someone who's really in the news, but I think it's a pertinent interview. And it'll probably come up between Christmas and New Year. That's kind of my gift to to the fans, my gift to you for a great 2022 year with the show, another year of growth for the show. And then we, you know, we'll we'll take a quick break for New Year. And then it's listen, post New Year, round up the roster, look at what kind of opportunistic moves the Mets make. And then it's really a countdown to pitchers and catchers. Like we're nearly at that time. It's amazing how from the day they got eliminated from San Diego till today, how quickly this thing goes, how it flies. The holiday just flies. Holiday season flies. Thanksgiving, Christmas, Halloween, fall, get into the winter. It's just amazing how it goes. So We'll do that. But I hope everybody has a great holiday. I hope we, you've enjoyed the content to date. Uh, I think there's a lot of fun stuff to head, a lot of questions about Senga, a lot of interesting moves the Mets can make. What an exciting, historic, dynamic, dynamic time to be uh, covering this team, to be rooting for this team, to be around this team. You couldn't ask for more. Listen, you could not ask for more right now if you're a Mets fan. You really can't. As bad as things have been and as frustrated, frustrating as things have been, you can't ask for a better position here. Uh, holiday week, end of the year, 2022, season's greetings than we are right now. So anyway, I want to thank everybody for tuning in to another edition of the Talking Mets podcast. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, And you can show up on podcast, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your week. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Happy holidays. Till next time, take care. Peace.